Father, I thank you for the technology for us to meet virtually. It's not the same. And God, I just, God, I pray that this period where we can't meet would be cut short, that this virus would not be spreading here in Iceland, that we could meet that we could worship together, that we could sing together. God, as we go into the sermon and we deal with topics that are so big and personal and heavy at times, God, I, I pray that you would give me the wisdom to speak your word because I know uh, my, my ideas are not going to transform anyone's life. Uh, my ideas and my words are not going to comfort anyone, but I know through the power of your spirit, you transform life. You are the comforter. There's no one better than you. And so God, as we, as we deal with the big questions that have been raised through these first seven chapters of uh, the book of Acts, God, I pray that you give us wisdom as we go forward. I pray that we would be a church that gives itself under the authority of scripture, whatever we do. God, may we be informed by scripture. May we be edified and transformed by scripture. God, may we not only believe uh in the uh in, in the the theanostas of scripture the the god breathed nature of scripture but also um the the sufficiency of scripture so god as we go into your word as we dive into some big topics may we be edified may we be built up may we re- be rebuked if we need be may we have open hearts because we know that ultimately when we are corrected, when we are rebuked, when we, when we are uh, changed, God, it's for our good. That's what you promised us, that we would be predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so God, would you conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the grace that we have in Jesus. We thank you so much for the patience that we have in you. We thank you so much for your power and your word and so God, today, transform us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so it is a joy to be with you today. Uh, my name is Gunnar Inki Gunnarsson. If you are turning into our services for the first time, then I just would like to welcome you. I am one of the two pastors here at Lostman Baptist Kirkja. And today we are continuing our mini-series of sorts, talking, uh, taking a break um, from going through the book of Acts to deal with topics related to the Holy Spirit that have been raised in the first seven chapters. Now, so far we've dealt with who is the Holy Spirit. Last week, Elliot was preaching, delivered an awesome sermon about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and now we're going into healing and miracles. And that's going to be this week and the next week because it, it, is, uh, it, is, <laughs> it is a topic that's difficult to divide up into two weeks. But I think it's also a big, you know, too big to deal with in, in one sermon. And especially because I know a lot of um, questions are going to be raised. I know a lot of people are going to be thinking of specific verses. And I want to try to deal with all of the things that come with this. Um, well, in the first seven chapters, we have covered uh, God has been doing a lot of miracles. People have been being healed. Uh, 
people being judged, which we typically maybe don't think of as miracles, like Ananias and Sapphira when God's judgment came upon them and they died right there. We typically don't think of that being a miracle, but if you think about it, it is. Um, which raises some you know, questions that I know people in our church have been talking about. Now, before we jump into this sermon, I, I want us to, to just cover what we have seen in Acts so far, and I hope these slides are going to work. Uh, yep, there you go. That looks like it's working. So, so far in the book of Acts, uh, we have seen these things. Jesus has ascended into heaven. There is one miracle that you don't see every day. The Holy Spirit has descended and filled the people in the upper room with the Holy Spirit that they might speak in all of a sudden multiple languages supernaturally that they didn't know before. So all of a sudden they are speaking languages that none of them knew. And you see that in Acts chapter 2. Now, later in Acts chapter 2, in verse 43, you see various miracles are being done through the apostles uh, following Pentecost. And then you see there are some verses of people coming to faith there in their thousands, people responding in repentance in their thousands. Um, Then you move on over to chapter 3. There's a guy that's been uh, lame for... a few decades. He's a paralytic and he's, he's a beggar uh, by the temple and he's asking for money. And in, in Acts chapter three, God heals him and he is healed in such a way that he's known in the community. Um, and so at, at no one can really chalk this up to uh, while he's pretending or anything like that. They've seen him grow up. And in Acts chapter four, there is this, well, this is maybe debatable if this is a, you know, I think a lot of non-Christians would debate this. But to me, this supernatural generosity is overtaking the church. They are selling their possessions and they're using their possessions to love and take care of one another in such a way that you've just, you know, you've never really seen this before. And then in Acts chapter 5, you have God comes in and he judges Ananias and Sapphira Um, in the first half of Acts 5. And then you see various people with various diseases having been healed in Acts 5.16. And then in 5.18, the apostles are being broken out of prison by an angel. There's a jailbreak happening, a supernatural jailbreak. Um, It's just kind of cool to think about. And then Stephen, who is a deacon in the early church, who is actually one of the very few people that are not apostles, It's talked about uh, in the sense that God was working in awesome ways through him with miracles. You see this in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. But he's charged by the religious authorities and after an awesome sermon, basically rebuking them, the religious elites who had the power, uh, then all of a sudden he is killed. That raises a lot of questions. So there you have it. So I think... And actually, I I know that from hearing conversations and and participating in conversations in our church, going through the the book of Acts has raised a lot of questions. These are also questions I've wrestled with at many times uh, before that are quite personal at times. Um, Like, for instance, one of the the big questions that God used to, uh, sorry, I gotta, God used in my life, it was pretty transformative when I was 10, um, 
my grandmother was murdered. And I, like, I hesitate to, to bring this stuff up from my past because um, I feel like I talk about them a lot. But the reality is some of these highlights of struggles that I've walked through have been the most formative experiences of my life. And so there are a lot of lessons I relate to, to going back there. And so when I was 10 years old, uh, during December 1999, I came home and I found police cars outside and uh, I found out my, my grandmother was murdered. That started raising a lot of questions within me. Why would a good God allow not just a woman, but a God-fearing woman who loved him to be murdered in her own apartment in such a senseless way? And especially, you know, it was just, it was more shocking to me, especially the more I grew up and I realized there's maybe one murder or two murders per year. Like, why would God allow this to happen? And to this woman, to this elderly lady that loved him. And why wouldn't he intervene then? And I'm guessing, actually, that the early church, when they saw Stephen and they saw what God was doing through Stephen in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, he's doing all these miracles and God is really revealing himself through the ministry of Stephen and he's at no paint, no, no, uh, in no way at the pinnacle of his ministry. He can reach way more people, give way more sermons, but then he's killed. And I'm guessing a lot of the Christian community had this question too. Why would God allow Stephen, who was faithfully preaching Jesus, to be killed? Or maybe not. Maybe they just thought about this differently. Um, this also got very personal to me when, when uh, Mikhail was like a little less than two years old and I, we found out he's got autism. And I started Googling autism and I realized that some autistic children never learn how to speak. I may never hear my son say dad or mom or I love you or anything like that. And all of a sudden, what was so just assumed that this is what happens when you become a parent and your kid grows up that they say, dad and mom, and I love you. All of a sudden, it kind of required probably and, and, and maybe supernatural act of God to just hear my son say, I love you. And then, of course, with his cancer diagnosis, um, even, even hearing from the doctors that the chances of recovery are good, you know, hearing percentages thrown out there like, yes, he's got cancer, but it's got a 70 to 80% recovery rate, uh, you know, and, and generally logically thinking just 80%, that's a pretty good chance. But when it's your kid on the line, right, and you, just don't, you, you don't think 80% recovery rate, you think 20% fatality rate. That's what I was at least going through my mind. It wasn't the 80%, it was the 20%. 20% chance that I watch my son die before my eyes, that I bury him, that I never talk to him again. That's what was going through my mind. When Solomon was born in the middle of chemo, and, 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 and many of you weren't there, but you know, seeing him go limp and turn gray in his face and blue because he wasn't breathing and the doctors trying to get him going again, not really knowing if he was going to live or die, like that type of stuff raises a lot of questions about healing and miracles. And all I did at that point was just to say, God, would you please heal my sons? You know, would you please come in here in a supernatural way? And I, I, I don't want to be the guy who's always talking about these things, these, but I mean, I've learned so many lessons through this. But here's, here's my point in saying this, and I know some of you are like, okay, there's no scripture so far. What are you doing, Gunnar? Like, some of you, 
I just want to underline this point. I think our church is strong theologically, theoretically. I think we're good at making arguments. I think we have some awesome logical people that have been blessed with abilities to answer a lot of difficult questions. But I think we may be weak in loving and realizing that when someone brings a question to us like, why shouldn't I expect God to heal? I read the book of Acts. I see this verse where Jesus says, you know, if you just have enough faith, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Why shouldn't God heal my son? It seems like he's promised it. I feel like we need to realize that a lot of people asking these questions, they don't have just a logical problem with this. This is not a theoretical thing. A lot of times people are connecting this to misery that they've already experienced. Or maybe they're looking at their children and thinking, what if they are diagnosed with something, a fatal disease? Will God heal them? Like a lot of this stuff, this question, is not just logical. It's personal. It's painful at times. And I want us to grow in our ability to, yes, to be ready to make a defense for the hope that is within us, but also remember the context of this verse. It's not just about what we say. It's about how we say it that we should honor Christ as Lord in our hearts, that we remember we are agents representing Jesus Christ. And he didn't just answer the questions with his words. He loved people. So I want you to realize that if you're a theology nerd out there, which is a good portion of our church, this is a personal question for a lot of people. And I, I tend to think that our God is bigger than our questions. Like, I stand here today because God used a lot of my questions that were raised from the murder of my grandmother and so on and so forth. I stand here today because of the questions raised. And you, you read throughout the Bible and you see a lot of people with genuine questions. You see a lot of questions raised in Hezekiah or Ecclesiastes or Job or the Psalms. Wow, like, I, I mean, the Psalms are just all over the place. Like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? But I'm going to praise you anyways, you know. And actually, big chunks of the New Testament, you know, like the two letters to the Corinthians and, and, uh, and so on, like the, Gent, uh, the Galatians and, and like a, a bunch of these letters are actually in our Bibles today because the Corinthians and the Galatians, they had questions and they wanted Paul to answer these questions. So don't worry about your questions. Voice them with your brothers and sisters and most importantly, voice them with God. He's not, he's not, he's used to questions. Now, so we see these miracles happening one after another in the book of Acts, and, and we are faced with a bunch of questions. Should I expect God to work in the same way today? Like, I'm, I'm flipping through the pages here in the book of Acts. Should I expect him to work in the same manner here in 2020? And if so, why don't I see him working in the same way today? Is it lack of faith in me that causes this? Is it lack of faith in the church is it always God's will for us to be bodily healed? Is it always God's will for our bodies to be physically healed? And why wouldn't a good God, if he can heal our body, choose to heal when he is asked by his children? 
So my hope is to answer some of these questions here today and in the sermon next week, because this is too much material for one sermon. Now, on one side of the spectrum, you have people who sometimes legitimately have verses in mind that they feel suggest that God's desire is always to heal and to do miracles. And I understand why that's the conclusion for a lot of people. We dive into those verses more next week. But then you also have popular TV preachers um, who hold to what's called, not by them maybe, but at least by their critics, called the prosperity gospel. That God's will for our life, for your life and mine, is to always be healthy bodily, you know, and, and wealthy and prosperous. And mostly, it seems to me, the focus on the health, the wealth, and the prosperity is mostly physical, it seems to me. To have nice cars, nice houses, big, thick wallets, lots of money, great jobs, promotion, promotions in your jobs, healing of your body, uh, your physical disease, and so on and so forth. Now, some of these guys have even claimed that God has used them to heal people in their thousands, and for proof texts, you know, they might, they might quote something like, uh, you know, Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. And what did he teach his disciples to pray? He taught them to pray, your will be done and heaven as on earth. And, and these TV preachers may come up to the camera and say, well, think about heaven. Is there disease in heaven? Is there poverty in heaven? Are there tears in heaven? Is there pain in heaven? You know, and they might say, no, it is God's will for here on earth to be just like in heaven. And so there is no disease. There is no pain. There are no tears. There are no, you know, and, and, uh, and a lot of them connect this to if you give, then you will experience this healing. If you give a hundred bucks or 200 bucks or a thousand bucks, um, you know, and then they say, if you, if you just have enough faith, None of this should exist in the modern church. No disease should exist in the modern church. No death, no, no psychological problem, no physical problem. And one of the ironic twists about all of this is these guys who teach this message that there shouldn't be any disease, any problems, physical problems, they're usually wearing glasses while reading their Bibles, which I just find so ironic. And I wonder... Like, I wonder, are they peddling God's word? Do they know? Like, are they in this for their selfish gain, for money from the people? I wonder what it's going to be like for them to stand before God and realizing at that point, maybe, that they've been using the name of God for vain purposes and vain pursuits. Now, what I hope that we get out of our sermon today is this. The main point is this that we can plead with God, that we can bring all of our worries, our hopes, our expectations, and our desires before him in prayer. But in the end, God is free to do whatever he wills. And he does so as the one who knows better than we do and as the one who is seeking our good even when we don't see it. That's my hope that we get out of this sermon today. Well, the first question I want to dive into is this question, uh, is it true what the TV preachers say, a lot of them? Is it always God's will to heal someone physically? 
Is it true that there shouldn't be any death at the church here on earth? And the answer is no. That's not true. It's not always God's will to heal our physical bodies to prolong life in this body. Now let's, uh, I know for, for some of you, you may be watching and you may think, oh, that's just, this is a preacher that has no faith, you know, and let's shut this guy off right now. But let me go into a few scriptures that I'm thinking about. Uh, first, the first one wouldn't be a specific scripture. It's the life of Jesus, right? It's the gospels. If you just walk through the gospels and you see the suffering of Jesus, if anyone on earth deserved a healthy life, a wealthy life, a prosperous physical life. It was Jesus. He's the first and most obvious example of this. Like, if, if it wouldn't be for the death of Jesus, we wouldn't have songs to sing. We wouldn't have sermons to preach. We wouldn't have hope to deliver. We would have no message. We would be left with bad news that yes, indeed, we are all sinners in need of a savior. And then we would look around and see no savior in sight. We would be hopeless. If, there were, if it were not for the death of Jesus, we would all be without hope. Be, but because of this God-man Jesus, who was fully and perfectly righteous and his death, we stand here today with hope. No matter what tomorrow brings, no matter what today brings or yesterday brought, we stand with hope eternal because of his work, because of his death. Because of the debt that he paid on that cross, we can say that we are free. Like we are free from guilt. We are free as slaves to sin. We can live for our God and our creator now. Because of his blood, we can say that we are cleansed. And when we stand before the judgment seat of God, we can claim God not only as our creator and our judge, but also as our savior and defender. That is the greatest news of all. And we have eternal life. This is hope that is accessible to all, that gives all of life new meaning. Like, I don't, want, I don't want us to just be a church that is excited about dying and finally experiencing the joys of Christianity. I want us to realize that this, this gospel is not just good news for then when we stand before the judgment seat of God, but it's good news for now. It gives all of life new hope, new meaning. It gives all of life new purpose, like even the mundane, uh, the most mundane of tasks and, and the most glorious tasks, they have now more than just this earthly significance. They have an eternal significance. Like I'm thinking about 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where, where Paul says, whether you eat or drink, and then he, then he puts this, or whatever you do, you know? So it's kind of all encompassing. Like whatever you do in life, do it all to the glory of God. That is our purpose in life, to glorify God, to glorify God with the mundane tasks that we do at work, with answering emails, with being productive, with loving our families, with loving our spouses, laying our lives down for one another uh, and displaying God. Now, if you're listening and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, let me tell you that you've not truly lived until you've found your life in Jesus, until you surrendered your life to him and trusted in him as your savior. You have not really experienced a reason to love until you have experienced the love of Jesus. 
You have not really experienced a purpose in life until you have found your purpose in your Savior and your Creator, Jesus Christ. Right? And I hope today, man, I hope that you would surrender to Jesus to experience this hope. But then besides Jesus, we also find examples in the Bible where God is basically saying that the entire purpose for us is not just to live endlessly in these physical bodies in this broken world. Like jump with me to Genesis chapter six, verse three. I have the verse here. Let's read it together. It says here, then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh. His days shall be 120. Now granted, there's a lot of debate about what this means. Uh, some, some theologians are saying this refers to the flood of Noah coming in 120 years. Um, and they, I've seen those arguments. I don't really buy them. Uh, to me, the most obvious and plain meaning of this text seems to suggest that God's desire is not for man to live endlessly in this messed up world, that he refuses to sustain our life in endless rebellion and limits our life to 120 years. Now, granted, you start reading more, you know, after this chapter, you see that people live more than 120 years after this, but you see the number of years that they live gradually, well, not really gradually, pretty, you know, pretty drastically starting to drop there um, after this statement. Now, what can we learn from this verse? Number one, I think it's not that one of, one of the things that we can learn is, number one, it's not the ultimate will of God to just prolong the life of our flesh, but to give us eternal life that goes beyond just this life, to give us eternal healing, eternal prosperity, prosperity that is found in union with Jesus. Like you, you see, like one of my main problems with the health, wealth, and prosperity message is not the health, wealth, and prosperity. It's the limited nature of the health, wealth, and prosperity. It's the fact that you're focusing too much on these earthly things that are all going to pass. You know, this, well, yeah, okay, you may have a you know, comfortable 80 years here on earth, but then what? And so that's one of the things that I, I think we can draw from this verse. Number two, at, at some point, this logically concludes that God will not answer our praying for healing and our bodies will die, but we will live with Christ and come down to creation once again, once God has judged and cleansed the earth. Until then, God is patient and he's providing us and this world with time to repent and put their faith in Jesus, as we see in 2 Peter 3, 9, right? But you see this view also fleshed out in, in the apostles. Like turn with me to 2 Corinthians uh, I didn't want to put the whole chapter up here, but I, I wanted to get a big chunk of it. So Second uh, Corinthians 4, 7 through 12 and 16 through 18, it says here, but we have this treasure in jars of clay and the jars of clay are our bodies here to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who, are, who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And then jump over to 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart, though the outer self is wasting uh, away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but things that are unseen, for the things that are trans, uh, seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And this is what I'm talking about when I say the health, wealth, and prosperity message that we see so popular today is, is so limited in its nature because I, I feel like it fails to share the view of Paul here in 2 Corinthians, this eternal perspective. Like he's, he's talking about his body wasting away, but his spirit is strong. Like he's talking about his, his body being weak, but his eternal hope stays the same. And he's talking about affliction in his body. Like for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is to come. Like he has an eternal perspective on things. I think health in his perspective is not just about what his body is like and wealth, being wealthy, is not just about how much money he has and prosperity is not just about what kind of, you know, how his life is going, how how his job position is and so on and so forth. This right here, this eternal perspective is what I think is missing in a lot of sermon about God's desire to give you health, wealth, and prosperity. That ultimately, yes, he can give you wealth here on earth, but remember what Jesus taught. Remember that he he is truly wealthy who doesn't gather treasure here on earth where thieves can come and, and steal and rust can take it away and destroy it, but who has treasure in heaven. He is truly wealthy. You see this in Matthew chapter 16. And yes, you can have prosperity here, but ultimately, no matter how great it is and how long your life is, even if you live up to 120 years old, your years here on earth will be nothing compared to the whole eternal picture. Even if you live 120 years. And so true prosperity is of the eternal kind. The one that just doesn't last for my 80, 90, 120 years here on earth, but lasts for eternity. Like, do you think you will be sad over not having more things here in life when you've experienced a million years of eternal life with no disease or suffering and endless supplies of new joys every single day? Do you think that, do you think we will regret not watching that one Netflix season? <laughs> you know, do we, do we think that we are actually going to go to God of the universe and complain at that point that we didn't have a Mercedes? I don't think so. I don't think so. And that's what I think Paul is getting at when he says this light and momentary affliction. Because by all accounts, if you measure the life of Paul and this, the amount of suffering that he has had to endure. I mean, I think there's like three shipwrecks and you got to ask yourself the question, like how unlucky do you have to be to not only get into a one shipwreck, but not only two, but three. I mean, he's been whipped. 
He's been uh, persecuted by his own people, hated by his own people. He's been rejected by those who discipled him in the faith before the Pharisees. Um, and he's, he's, he's experienced a lot of hardships. He's been stoned to death, just didn't die. God sustained his life. Like by no means can we take his life, especially in the comforts of the 21st century, and say that he didn't suffer. But yet he is looking at all of his life knowing that he has suffered a lot compared to many others, saying this light and momentary affliction is nothing compared to the glory that is to come. That is amazing. I think what he's getting at is, hey, that whipping, that stoning, that shipwreck, I'm not going to be thinking about this in 100 years when I'm with my God in eternity. I'm not going to be thinking about this in 10,000 years when I've been with my God in eternal bliss with new joys every morning when he is my sustaining life. I'm not going to be thinking about any of this. It's all going to be worth it. Now, the, the other day, uh, I had a little uh, struggle with my, my, my daughter, Sigros. She was outside. She was playing with a friend from the apartment building that we live in. And I was told by Svava that she had snuck around the corner of this one building that's right in front of us and she couldn't be seen anymore. Uh, I didn't hear them speaking or anything like that. That makes any parents suspicious when you can't hear screams. You started to like think, what are they trying to hide from us? So I ran down the stairs. I looked for them until lo and behold, I saw the two of them standing in the middle of the street with a tire that was on the rim fully, you know, just a, a, a tire that they found somewhere, rolling it down the street towards a car that was driving uh, to them. Now, granted, this was by uh, this, this football field. This is a street that the cars drive very, you know, very slowly. But I screamed for the kids to get out of the street. I, I scared them a lot. I screamed heavily, get out right now. And uh, they started running away. And I ran after that tire to put it to the side of the street so that it wouldn't damage the car that was ongoing. Or if it wouldn't hit him, it would definitely hit some car in the parking lot behind him. Or possibly someone just walking down the street all of a sudden having a random tire just smack you. Um, and I was, I was furious. I have told... Sigros so many times about the dangers of being out on the street where cars are driving. I've told her to not just take anything she'd like to start playing with and start playing with it like she owns it, like she did with this tire. I have tried to get her to think about the possible consequences of her actions. And I was frustrated that she didn't think how this could possibly go bad, how this tire could possibly hit someone, um, hit the car, ruin something. You know. Meanwhile, she's five years old. And while I was trying to explain to her these dangers and why she shouldn't be doing this and how dangerous that was, not only to her, but also to other people who may have been walking there or possibly to cars that she may have damaged if I didn't get there in time. I'm guessing that during that conversation, even though she acknowledged what I was trying to say, she said she understood and so on and so forth. I'm pretty sure she was thinking the entire time, God is such a killjoy. Why does he hate me having fun? Like we have this song in Iceland, you know, that the footlona folk is so 
Han alltid skamma man. So it's basically this, these grown-up people are so weird. They're always getting on my case, you know, always trying to stop me from having fun. And I'm pretty sure, like, even though she acknowledged the lesson I was trying to teach her there, uh, that she was just thinking, man, God, my dad hates me having fun. He's always stopping me from having fun. Why can't I play with this tire? She probably doesn't understand how, you know, why her dad is stopping her from having fun all the time or how that can be good for her. She probably doesn't understand how it helps develop character if I don't just give her everything that she wants but sometimes make her uh, work for it and earn it. She probably doesn't understand a lot of things that I do. And as much as you know, we might laugh at her naivety and uh, you know, uh, just the lack of, of thinking things through like consequences, we must also realize that in relations to God, in our relationship to God, we are seguros. We are the one that's got a very limited perspective and a very limited understanding. We are the ones that may be asking ourselves the question, why doesn't God just give me everything I want? Meanwhile, we understand this as parents, you know, Sometimes getting uh, uh, you know, 500 grams of candy for dinner is just not going to be good for you, right? But we sometimes lack the understanding that sometimes God just knows better than we do, not just what we want, but what we need. Like, we might not see how some of his commands can help us right now. But will we trust that he actually knows better than we do? Or will we make the same mistakes as our parents in the garden? Not trusting that God is out for our good, thinking that we can get joy by ourselves. We might not see the whole picture, but we know that God has our good in mind. And what is awesome is that he is not just out for our short-term gain, but our eternal joy. And sometimes our short-term gain conflicts with our eternal good, even when we may not see how. Like, you see this in glimpses of the New Testament and in the middle of everything that God is doing, thousands of people are coming to faith. People who have, haven't walked for decades are now walking. The, the paralytic are no longer paralyzed. Uh, people who haven't walked for decades are now walking. People are being raised from the dead, right? And you see glimpses of things that God is doing and you're just like, wow. But then you also see glimpses where God decides not to do this. Like in, in the life of Paul, right here, after he got an awesome glimpse into heaven in, in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 7 through 10, he says, you know, he got this vision of heaven and he didn't write a book about it or anything. He actually didn't talk at all about what he saw. But he says that this happened following that. So to keep me from being, uh, becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of this revelation, a thorn was giving me, given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, I should, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly all uh, of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So here is the Apostle Paul, who has experienced God doing this crazy amount of stuff. Like the Apostles walking down the street, and if their shadows hit someone, they are healed. Like crazy amounts of stuff. Thousands of people come to faith all at once, and, and, and you know, good problems like that. Like how do we disciple 3,000 people that just got saved right now? You know, that, those are good problems to have. Problems indeed, but good problems. He has seen God do amazing things. He doesn't say what the thorn in the flesh is, but most agree that this is probably some physical ailment, maybe related to why he has, you know, writing letters like in, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. You know, he ends the letter. He, so basically, a lot of the letters of Paul, he dictates them and asks someone else to write them down for him. But then you see glimpses like Galatians 6, 10, where he says, this is me writing in my own handwriting and you know it's me because of how large the letters are so maybe his like his arm is messed up or something like that but there he cries out for God to heal and remove this thorn in the flesh and God's answer to him is no this is for your good so that you don't become puffed up to be reminded that you continually need God and and to be reminded that God's grace is sufficient for you. In other words, the short-term gain was, was in conflict with Paul's long-term good, and he had to trust that God knew better. You also see that this in the book of Acts, chapter 7. Like we see glimpses of God's obviously doing miraculous work in chapter 6 through Stephen, this deacon in the early church. And these crazy miraculous things are happening in his life. And yet at the end of his sermon, when he's confronted by the religious elite, he is murdered. And you, you got to wonder like, okay, God, how, how does this work? How can you bless someone with this gift of preaching? And then just like when he's young, like he probably was, he just dies. And you don't, you don't stop the people doing this evil and wicked thing. You also get this into, you know, a glimpse of this also with Paul when he's writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. Um, Timothy is going through something, maybe uh, uh, definitely a physical problem, but possibly also maybe anxiety or something like that. And when he's writing to him in 1 Timothy 5, 23, he, he tells them, drink a little wine for your stomach. And, and you got to wonder, like, okay, here, here's God doing all these things. Like, people are being raised from the dead. We know that Jesus made a miracle where he prayed for someone that wasn't there and they were healed. Like, why isn't Paul just praying for Timothy to be healed? Why is he recommending a little wine for his stomach? Well, or like right here in his second letter to Timothy, he gives, this is a very, like, revealing glimpse. It's like this type of verse that we often maybe don't see or we read over pretty fast because it's, it's, it just seems like boring details. Here in 2 Timothy 4.20, he's writing to Timothy and he's saying, 
Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, um, who was ill, at Miletus. Sorry, I'm like, I struggle with pronouncing these Greek-sounding names in English with an English accent. But um, uh, yeah, there you have it. He, he left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. And, and you, you see this detail there in 2 Timothy 4.20, and you're like, wait a minute, they're on a missionary journey. God is doing these miraculous things. Like, why doesn't, isn't everyone being healed? Like, why, and, and why isn't this a problem for, for Paul? Like, why is he writing about this like this, you should expect this to happen? Why isn't it a problem for Paul that he's recommending Timothy to get some wine for his stomach? Like, if, doesn't he believe that it's always God's will for, uh, you know, for him to heal us bodily? That this, his ultimate will is for us to live, you know, in this body that's healthy and wealthy and prosperous? And it doesn't seem to be a problem for him at all. Like, like, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that God is raising the, the dead. He's send, sending angels to commit jailbreaks. Thousands are coming to faith. Thousands are being healed. And at the center of it all, you've got this guy who's, whose name is Paul. But God says to his own ailment, my grace is sufficient for you. And to his son in the faith, as he calls Timothy, he doesn't just pray for healing, but he recommends some you know, wine for his physical difficulties. And on a missionary journey, while serving God, he leaves this guy in a city, Miletus, while he moves on. That's exactly what I'm saying. That God is capable of amazing and great deeds and there's nothing wrong with the approaching the throne of God with our hopes, with our desires and our needs. He is our father and he loves when we come to him. Just like I love when my kids come to me and state their needs even though they're not definitely not needs at times, right? But that does not mean he grants us everything we desire. Like, the main thing I want you to get out of this sermon is this, that we can plead with God, that we can bring all of our worries, our hopes, our expectations, our desires before him in prayer. But in the end, God is free to do whatever he wills. And he does so as the one who knows better than we do and as the one who is seeking our good even when we don't see it. That's what I hope we walk away with. But right now you may be thinking about a few verses, maybe questions like, wait a minute, Gunnar, didn't Jesus say that if you just had enough faith, you could cast this mountain into the sea? How does this compute with this? Doesn't the Bible say that whatever we ask in Jesus' name, we will receive if we just believe it? Well, we will have to dive into some of the aspects of this questions more next week, but for now, I'd like to leave us with this. In Paul's own ailment, in the sickness of Timothy that he was dealing with, and in the sickness of Trophimus, who has left it Melatus, Melatus, Paul apparently did not expect Jesus to heal everybody all the time. And if that wasn't a contradiction, contradiction in Paul's mind to what Jesus had said, then how should we view what Jesus said? Now listen, I, I tend to think when you are presented with two biblical views, I'm learning this the more I walk with God. When you are presented with two biblical views um, and you say, here's, here's one view and here's the other, 
or it's either this one at the left or the right or the up or the down. Uh, most, most of the time, I'm starting to realize that there is a third view that's unseen and unstated or unpopular. Um, and most of the time, I'm starting to realize that this third view or this third way, as Timothy Keller calls it, is what I find to be most biblically faithful. That it's easy to go extremes. It's easy to overcorrect from, from being in a church that's all about healings and miracles to going all the way to the other side and just never even approaching God with any requests for healing or miracles. Like, I know how easy it is to do that because we've, I've done that. I get, I've done that plenty of times and I'm realizing more and more the mistake of that. When it comes to the issue of healing, I have one crowd that is all about healing for everybody and they, they're, you know, they're thinking is this is God's will for us, his will on earth as it is in heaven. There is no disease in heaven. Everyone should be healed. And the other theological camp that almost seems scared to just pray for healing in general. You know, or, or when we do eventually pray for healing, then we, we front load with a bunch of caveats. Like, God, I know you don't have to heal. Like, uh, I know that whatever, whatever you decide to do that, you know, and I understand that, like, maybe you're preparing this person that, you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean God is not faithful, God is not good, so on and so forth. But um, I think it also says something about us. I think we... I think I need to realize that prayer is not just about getting my wishes granted, but also about enjoying communion with my God and Father. And even if I don't hear the, the right answer, what I wanted to get, if I, if I don't get the healing I wanted to, to at least be able to come before God and say, this, this is what I want. This is what my hope is. Well, I think prayer is for us partly to learn to complete, completely depend on God and to voice not only our concerns but also our desires. So there are a few questions that I would like for us to think through as we go into this week. And the questions are, are here. You can take a, a picture of the screen if you'd like. And, and, and I hope you guys are using these questions either as families or as discipleship groups to, to talk among yourselves. And I want us to just dwell on this this week as we think about healing and miracles. When you experience physical ailments that God has not answered, you know, the pr prayer to heal yet, does it make you grumble or does it make you long for eternity? In other words, does trials, do trials here in life, the reminder of this world being fallen, does it make you long for eternity or make you hopeless? Because remind yourself of this eternal truth that this light and momentary affliction is nothing compared to the glory that is to come, like Paul said. What happens when you are faced with ailments that God has not decided to answer yet if he's going to heal or not? Number two, do you view prayer as simply a means to get something from God or also the opportunity to commune with your father about what worries you, excites you, and so on? And lastly, when you approach God in prayer, 
Do you approach him like he owes you a miracle? Or are you on the other end of the spectrum? Do you possibly not approach him at all because you feel like your problems are not worth his time? Those are, those are two theological camps and thoughts that I think are both not biblical. Because if, if, if you fall in the camp that your problems, you know, your healing is, is so unworth, uh, like not worth his time, well, just read the Gospels. Read the life of Jesus. Read about the life of Jesus and what he did when he was here on earth. He seemed to think that coming in with healing and praying with people and seeing them healed, their body, you know, and, and mentally and spiritually healed, um, he seemed to think that there, those were problems that were worth his time. So are you either, number one, approaching God like he owes you a miracle, or do you possibly not approach him at all because you feel like your problems are not worth his time? Both are not good. Now, this is until next week. I hope you have a wonderful week filled with great thoughts on this subject. I, th- I really hope you have great discussions about this and, and various verses that pop up in your mind. And honestly, I hope you have a great week just pleading with God, telling him what you desire, telling him what's on your mind, what's on your heart, and feeling like you can. Man, I, I pray that you'd see the greatness of God and the vastness of eternity. And I, I pray that you would see all of your life, all of what you go through, whether it's good or bad, I pray that you would always see it in context with eternity to see that this light, this, this affliction is, is light and momentary compared to the glory that is to come to, com- compared to eternal life that is ahead. And also, I pray your confidence in God that he has the best in mind for you even when he doesn't answer your wishes, even when he doesn't grant you what you think you need or what you want. Like, I hope that your faith in God is such that if he says no, um, no, this is not what you're gonna get right now, that we would know that he is out for our good, that he loves us and there's a reason for it, that he is indeed a good father who is taking care of his children. And maybe we, like Segros, might be the ones that just don't have the whole picture. They might be naive a little bit. And so I pray that we would be balanced in our views. I pray that we wouldn't approach God like he owes us a miracle. Um, because sometimes I just hear people talk and the way they talk about God doing miracles, um, it almost seems like they treat him like he's the dog. And they just like, He's supposed to follow his commands and we give him a good boy or we throw the stick and he goes and fetches it. And, you know, just even stating that with my mouth, this view of God that is almost views him as subservient to us instead of us being the servants of God here on earth just makes me sick, right? It makes me sick when we approach God like he, like he owes us a miracle. Now, granted, I, I think some people out there they say, no, it's not that I think he owes me a miracle. I just think, you know, there are these verses that I have in mind where he has said, no, this is what he's going to do. He is going to answer our prayers. So granted, there is that view, but like I'm saying, there's so many different views out there. But I pray, I pray that we would be balanced. 
I pray that we would be biblical in our thinking. I, I pray that we would take into consideration that for Paul, this didn't seem to be a problem. Uh, with all the statements of Jesus, um, it didn't seem to be a problem that people got sick, that his body, outer body was wasting away while his spirit was being renewed day by day, that Timothy was sick with some kind of physical ailment or possibly anxiety. Uh, and yet, he didn't see a problem with it. And so I want us to, to take that mindset and say, okay, what did Paul see that we may not see? And how can we be corrected or rebuked if we need to? So God, uh, I just want to, I, I, I want to pray real fast. God, I thank you for your word. I pray that this week might, uh, more questions might come so that we can deal with this subject in more depth in next week. I pray, God, that ultimately, no matter what we do, May we be biblical. May we follow your commands. God, may we, may we always seek to be conformed to the image of Christ. May we always seek never to, to uh, put the Bible under our authority, making the Bible change according to what we think it should say, but rather always being ready to be, uh, to be changed by the word of God, by your word. And God, we thank you so much for your spirit giving us this word. And I pray as we go into this week and we think about this, as for some of us, this may be very personal and we, we may have a lot of uh, experiences that we've walked through where, where we thought about these very questions. I pray, God, that ultimately you would glorify yourself in us. I pray that we would not only think about these things in theoretical senses or have good discussions about this, this that this might cause us to just be people that are more willing and more quick to turn to you before the throne of God and lay down our burdens, our desires, our hopes, our wishes, but also just to commune with you. May we not be afraid to approach the throne of grace. May we not be scared of you because you are such an amazing and good father. May we know that even when we don't understand why you allow certain things to happen. One day we will see you face to face and we will then know fully as you know us fully. But until that day, give us hope, give us faith to just remember you are an amazing God. You are an amazing father. So be with us this week. Help us glorify you with our lives, with our words, with our actions and our work and our schools. Help us live for your glory, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do. God, Help us live for your glory. And God, if there's anyone watching this that hasn't tasted of the grace found in Jesus, that hasn't tasted of the hope and, and the life found in Jesus, God, I pray that you would transform their life right now. I pray, God, that they would surrender their life, that they would say, my life is not my own. I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. I pray that they might experience, follow, experience following you in everything they do and the hope that comes in that to know that what, whatever happens, you're in control. And whatever happens, even when we don't understand why it's happening, we can, have fully, uh, we can fully trust and full, have full hope that you are out seeking our good. So we thank you for being an amazing father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now let's jump into uh, some of these prayer requests. Um, Thank you for adding them to the chat. Elliot, well, 
Elliot said, Tenji, please continue to pray for my friend's daughter in South Africa, Lindy. She is still in a hospital and seems to be getting better, but then, uh, but then something else occurs, okay? We will definitely be praying with, with you in that regard. Um, Elliot, pray that Jesus would build his church in Iceland. Amen. We will pray for that. And uh, Hildur, please pray for wisdom and protection as we start seeing people again after quarantine. Praise God for a great, great week where God used people in the church to help me up from a depressive state by reaching out and loving on me. Pray for opportunities for me to love and people in the same way. Ayanda, Please pray for God's provision in finding another job and not panicking when I don't hear back from places I've applied to. Amen. And uh, Bob Norton, pray for my country. We will pray for the U.S. Um, so let's let's pray together. Um, God, I, I pray for um, Lindy in South Africa. I pray that you would be with her. I pray, God, I, I just pray for healing, especially in light of, of the today's sermon. God, I want to boldly approach your throne and state for all of us that we want to see uh, Lindy healed. We want to glorify you for this healing. We want to praise you. God, help us make healing and miracles not uh, the center of our faith, God, but help us as we see you work in supernatural ways, maybe around us and in us and through us. God, I, I pray that we would always use that as an opportunity to do what the early church did when you did miracles. We praise you. And so, God, we pray for Lindy in this in South Africa. I, I pray that you would meet her where she's at. I pray that you would uh, heal her, and I pray that we would glorify you and worship you together for this great healing miracle. Um, I pray with Elliot that you would build your church here in Iceland, that you would raise up laborers for the harvest. I pray that we would see, as we see in the book of Acts, thousands of people come to faith. And as we've seen that throughout history, thousands of people at once come to faith. I pray that we might see something similar here in Iceland, that we might see souls being given eternal life, hearts that have been restless their entire life, finding their rest in you because you've created us for yourself. So God, would you build your church? Would you build us as your disciples, as your followers? Help us be uh, live a life uh, worthy of the calling that which you've called us to. Help us glorify you and your grace and help us, God, see more laborers in this harvest. Um, and we pray, we join our sister Hilter in prayer. We thank you so much for how you use the church to build up and encourage. And I thank you for how you have used the people in the church to, to help her in her depressive state uh, by reaching out and loving on her. And I pray for opportunities for her to love on other people the same way. And God, may we outdo one another in service and love and honor. And God, may we, uh, may we love well as we not only marvel at the, the amazing grace that you've shown us through your son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us, who came completely worthy of being served by everyone who saw him, yet he came not to be served, but to serve. And God, I pray for our church, help us imitate Jesus in that way. And please, God, I pray for wisdom 
and protection as Hildur and Elliot start to see people again after self-quarantine. God, I pray for healing in Hildur, uh, for the healing of the tumor in her brain so that she wouldn't have to be on this medicine that is... Uh, that is causing her to having to be extra careful with COVID and everything else because of the compromised immune system. So God, I just pray for the healing of our sister. Um, God, I pray for Ayanda as well. Help her as she uh, maybe is panicking a little bit when she doesn't hear back from the places she's applied to. I pray that you would just give her patience, that you give her rest in you, that you indeed know what you're doing. You have good for her to do and may she lay hands on that good. Um, and I pray that you would provide for her in the meantime and that she would find rest in you. God, I join my brother Bob in, in Tennessee for in praying for his country, uh, I pray for the U.S., uh, this pandemic, this uh, election season, uh, at least just watching from afar, it just seems a lot of chaos, and I know it can be distorted sometimes through media and, and news and, and so on and so forth, and maybe hyped up a little bit, but it's been strange to watch from afar. God, I pray that you would protect the U.S. I pray that you protect the citizens therein. And I pray, God, that you would glorify yourself, um, glorify yourself in that country. God, and I pray the same for ours. I pray for the leaders of our country. God, that, well, number one, I pray that they would receive the best gift that there is in this life, that they would surrender their life to you, that they would be guided by your word, your wisdom, your spirit, um, because ultimately we know we are so, so limited in our knowledge, in our understanding, but you can work so powerfully in us and through us. So God, I pray for the leaders of our country that they might turn and repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you give them the wisdom that they need to make decisions that are for the good of the people in this country, um, that they might not get power hungry or anything like that, but that rather they, they might serve the citizens of Iceland faithfully uh, so that we might live peaceful and quiet and godly lives. God, I also want to join Logan in prayer and, and praying for the Redeemer City Church of Reykjavik core team that are, you know, they're gathering tonight and for all the college ministries and prayer group to be wise with how to approach the fall semester in the midst of COVID yeah, on the university campus. So God, I pray for Logan, give him wisdom, uh, give him wisdom on, on how to proceed. I know Planting a church in the midst of COVID is going to be a tricky thing. Uh, reaching out to the neighbors uh, and getting planted in a community to serve that community is going to be very tricky during times of COVID. And I pray, God, that ultimately uh, you would give them the uh, yeah, you would give them the ability to just follow you in whatever you do. Give them wisdom. Give them grace. We don't know what the future holds, but you do. You are all-knowing. And so, God, I pray that you would guide the planting of Redeemer City Church of Reykjavik um, and that you would glorify yourself. Um, all right, we have a few more prayer requests. I don't know if this fits on the screen. <laughs> this is big. Uh, Svava, pray for God to help with uh, any unbelief when it comes to having assurance that gospel is truly the power into salvation and that whenever I proclaim the gospel to unbelieving friends that I might proclaim it boldly and believe that God can, even then, um, even then, save my friends right in front of my eyes because he's able to do so. Pray for 
parents in their parenting for God to lead them and use them as instruments of his mercy to teach them and show them the gospel through words and deeds, continuing uh, continued prayers for all the pregnant women in the church for protection through the pregnancies and then also for the upcoming labors. So God, we join you. Uh, we join uh, Svava in praying for the pregnant ladies, including herself, of the church and the upcoming labors. I thank you so much for just belonging to a community where we've been blessed with so many children. Man, what a blessing it is to see um, <laughs> see your church. Uh, well, this might be an answer to the prayer of Elliot uh, to build up your church and to see just your church grow in this way. God, I pray protection over the children. I pray that they might grow to love your church, that may, they might grow to love your word and to love you and love like you. I pray that our church might display who Jesus is well to them might we correct them well might we love them well give wisdom to the parents of this church god i I ask you to bless our marriages as well god and help us just love well help us love well as people that that are single um but also in our marriages god may we reflect who you are May, may, may there some, be something different about our marriages. May we not seek to, to just get from one another, but to, to give and to, to display who Jesus is by not seeking to be served, but to serve and lay our life down for one another. So I, God, I pray for the parents of this church and, and the marriages of this church. May we glorify you in those roles. And God, when we're talking about miracles to me, one of the greatest miracles of all, well, not to me, I just think this, that's what the Bible teaches, it's eternal life in you, that you have granted us your grace and your mercy that we didn't deserve. And God, so often we might be tempted to share the gospel with someone, but not, you know, as soon as we do, be doubting about how effective it's going to be. And maybe it's because we in our pride are thinking that it's all up to us. Did I say the right things? Did I say them in the right way? Like somehow it's up to us to change lives, but we realize that your word tells us that you are the one that changes our lives. And so God, may we fully trust and believe you when you say that gospel is the power of unto salvation and may we be faithful in proclaiming the good news that not only we need a savior that not only are we sinful but because of Jesus Christ we have a savior and may we faithfully proclaim that message may we faithfully be in awe of that message when we fail when we fail miserably God may we may we cling on to this hope that we have that grace catches us when we fall Man, how amazing it is. And God, may we, not, may we not be people who don't take our sins seriously and our failures seriously, but may we not also allow that to lead us to death and to just have hopelessness or to be just depressed. But may we, when we see our failures and when we see the seriousness of our sin, may we also worship you for providing us with an amazing, amazing Savior in Jesus Christ. Be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, it's been awesome being with you today. I hope um, that this word uh, encouraged you in some way, hopefully answers some of the questions that you've had. Um, Like I said, I think this is a topic that's probably best 
uh, to talk about in person. So if you have a lot of questions, I would love to talk with you. You can send me an email. If you're a member of our church, you should have my, my phone. Feel free to call me and I would love to talk with you and set up a meeting uh, or you can message Lofstum Baptist Kirkia. And also for the next sermon, I mean, if you, if, you, if you have specific verses in mind and specific questions that you're like, well, I have, this is, this is what I feel like you haven't dealt with already, please feel free to send them to me so that I, I can make sure I deal with some of these questions in the next sermon. I hope this is edifying and encouraging. And God, I, I pray, just work through the sermon. Work in us. Build your church. In Jesus' name we pray. So God be with you as you go into this week. Let us read Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. It says, Now be, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. May this be true. And then I would like for us to read the Great Commission together. Uh, feel free to, to, to read it with me. Matthew 28, um, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May we remember this is our mission, and, and may we go into this week seeking to fulfill this call. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week.